0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Newtown Theatre. Please welcome a man who is doing his 25th fringe but still doesn't know where anywhere in Edinburgh is. It's Richard
2: Herring. Thank you very much. Welcome...
0: Welcome to my podcast, this is, uh, love to see you all, thanks for coming along, this is Richard Herring's Let's Stuff Twats podcast, uh, it's, it's sort of become that over the last few days, um, my opening monologue has been about what women shouldn't put in their vaginas, there's been a new story every day basically, uh, it's everything, don't put anything in your vagina, so I decided we'd do a podcast now, where we just put different things up, women's vaginas, uh, yeah women's vaginas mate, not cow's vaginas like you were thinking, and uh, then we ring up an expert and was that a good idea? And they say, no, it wasn't a good idea. You've got to, come, you've got to keep it fresh with the podcast. I'm just, I'm just joking. Don't worry. It's a kind of joke. But I was, uh, I was chatting to uh, the man who busts with a saxophone under the bridge on King Stable Road. Uh, just on my way down. I go past him every day. It's not a heavy footfall down there. It's an odd place to bust. He's the kind of guy who goes, no, I'm not doing this for money. I'm doing this. For the love of busking, I don't really want to get... You, it's just passing trade. I'm, I Imagine it might just be because under that bridge there's quite a good echo which makes him sound better than he is. But he is very cool. Uh, he calls it but anyway. In, in, between, in between saxophone solos. Uh, so what's been going on? Um, yeah, I, was, I, I went to see my first grown-up show of The Fringe last night. I, laughably, when I, I, when I came up here this year, I thought this would be nice, I'm only doing the podcast. I can go out in the evening and see the next day's guest see their show, and then I'll be able to talk about their show. I've got two young kids. And I've not been out at all. Uh, we managed to get a babysitter last night, and we went to see one of our previous guests, uh, Jenna Freeman, who was phenomenal, but, you know, wasn't much help, because unless I can travel back through time uh, in terms of podcasts, but do go and see her. She's great. Uh, but she was on uh, the, in George Square, at the assembly in the George Square. And I think for some reason, I think because when I'd gone to pick up the tickets at the Pleasance, they hadn't printed up and said, no, you'll need to go to the assembly venue to uh, print these up. And so in my head, I got it was George Street, and then I thought, oh no, it's George Square. My wife said, do check where that is. when you I said, I know where George Square is. It's the end of George Street. It's where the assembly <laughs> I know where that is. And so uh, we had dinner uh, just uh, near Bristow Square, and then walked all the way down to St Andrews Square. Uh, as I said, oh, that's, it's, got, it's got a different name than I expected. There was nothing there. Uh, luckily, we had time to get a cab back up to the actual venue and uh, when I got, I got in the cab and said can we go to the George Square Theatre please and I, oh yeah in, uh, it's five years ago I, I was in the George Square Theatre that's where both my shows were so I probably shouldn't have, you can imagine my wife was not that amused actually. we were both quite tired and we made a walk, she did 20,000 steps yesterday before this excursion uh, I didn't make a fuss when she set the burglar alarm off in the middle of the night but I tell you, I fucking caught it, I tell you that <laughs> A lot, lot of trouble. Anyway, uh, do go and see Jenna Friedman. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I, I hope you'll enjoy today's show. It's going to be a little bit different. Uh, I'll crack on with our first guest, because he has to rush off to do his other show. In the George Square. He's at the George Square. I know he's in the same venue, uh, roughly, as Jenna Friedman. Uh, which, again, I did a show there as well. once. I don't know how I didn't realise. So, it's so close to where we're staying as well. It's hilarious. Um... <laughs> He's, he's. I've been coming up 25 times and I, I not know. Confusing though, isn't it? That is there to confuse people. That must have got a few people, not people who've played the George Square Theatre so much. So. <laughs> anyway, he is probably best known for his performance as Daniel in Everything Is Like Sunday, that Sunday with, a, with an AE on the end, like an ice cream. Well, you know, I don't need to tell you, that's why you've come here tonight. <laughs> Will you please welcome the amazing Rob Orton, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Come and sit down. Pull up on my phone. You'll need to pick up that microphone, or we'll be we'll be in all kinds of trouble. Hello. (laughs) So, can you tell me a bit about being Daniel and everything is uh, like Sunday?
3: Yeah, my friend uh, Chris Foster wrote a story about a uh, someone who works in an ice cream van in Morecambe, and that was me
0: it good? good role, good part, good to do well? Pretty good, bit? yeah.
3: I mean, it was freezing when we were doing it. Yeah, the, that'd be the ice cream. Yeah, the ice cream was <laughs> the, the ice cream was probably the warmest thing about it, actually. Was but it? Uh, yeah. Morecambe was particularly cold, but it was good. Yeah, that was, uh, I haven't really done much acting. I had a, I'd go for quite a lot of auditions. Yeah. Um, I had an audition for a part in uh, the new Mummy film. Oh, have you? Didn't get it. Oh, okay.
0: What are we going to be playing in The
3: Mummy? Well, the lead, I think. <laughs> uh, but then I got... Uh, no, the only, one, the only one I got was... Because uh, I, I do... On stage, I read from uh, books and things like that. And um, I went for an audition, and the audition was to be a uh, bad performance poet in Cold Feet. <laughs> yeah. When they all go to a festival, yeah. and they go into this spoken word tent, and I got that. Yeah. I got, got, got that part. But sometimes
0: you just go to audition, you go, I know I'm going to get this one, this is yeah. going to be fine. Yeah,
3: yeah, and I was in the audition and uh, it was meant to be like this hit call poet and I said, well, you know, some some of them, some of these spoken word artists actually read from their phone. So I said, I could do that. And they said, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Yeah. And then I just got it. Yeah. Got it. Well, I mean, it was good. That's that was really great, easy. though. I'm not mocking it because no. to to be on that, you know... It, that's the kind of thing that my parents' friends can engage with. Yeah. Like, oh, Rob, I saw Rob on cold feet. He's doing well. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, all this, I've been slogging my ass off for 10 years. Well, longer. Well, the first gig I did was in 2007. Yeah. And then I do one 10 minute, well, 10 second bit on cold feet, and that's a bit that they, that they engage with, you know. Yeah. But my parents were up yesterday, actually. They came and I, I did two shows yesterday, one at 10 to 3. One at ten to six in the same room. My, my parents came to came to both. They've been every year, so that you know that's amazing, though. That, it? Yeah, it's
0: nice. Um, so you were working in advertising before you became. A bit I was, yeah, yeah. I, I did
3: a degree in uh, like graphic graphic arts because I love painting and drawing. That was the first thing at school that I realized I could kind of do. Yeah. And then, um, so I love art and all that side of things. And then um, was. Well, I thought, what, what kind of um, industry wants someone who, can, who likes having ideas? I just love having ideas. And that's what all these shows are about that I'm doing up here. Yeah. And uh, so I got a job in advertising and uh, I was a creative and I was doing stuff for things like the House of Fraser sale. And uh, I was drawing cartoons with worms on them and the worms were saying, oh, House of Fraser got a sale on, you know. And the other one would be like, no, I didn't know that. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, then, uh, and then the creative director like, well, we can't use this. What are you doing? <laughs> then they're never gonna go for this. Yeah. And I kept on doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And then we, you know, I ended up getting. I actually did an advert for Florette the salad. Okay. Do you know, Florette salad. Does no. anyone know what that is. Yeah. I know people always slag off Edinburgh for not having any green stuff, but <laughs> yeah, it's easy if you go to a supermarket you can find it, yeah. can't you? But um, <laughs> it's. um... Yeah I did that and that was on TV but I mean yeah so it, but the thing is with advertising is it's so it's almost a perfect job for someone who considers themselves to be a creative yeah but it's a business and uh when I was doing advertising I I was getting really frustrated because I was having all these ideas that I really liked and then I started filling up these notebooks with like random stuff and then uh it was just bits of writing really and then the creative director said oh I'm 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 having a fireworks party. We're going to do some poetry. And I said, Oh I've got, some, I've got some stuff I've written down. I don't know what it is. Can I stand up and say it? And he was like, yeah, yeah, okay. So I went up and stood up and read out these bits. I did, like, one was about Nigel. I've got a flatmate called Nigel who lives in a shell. I guess that means that I do as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, it was hit and miss. That was <laughs> um, and... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, like orange and opinionless, that's what I want from a carrot and things like that. And it, and then it went on from there. And then af- after the gig, he said there was a person there who runs a spoken word night, Bang Said the Gun, they were actually doing it at the book festival there on Saturday. And um, they said, do you want to come and join us and be part of Bang Said the Gun? So I did that. And then um, I kind of got the, that that fireworks party gig was my first ever gig. And, uh, and then I just got the book for it, really. I tried yeah. to do all the open mics I could, Went to the poetry cafe in Covent Garden and did Poetry Unplugged. And um, someone came up to me afterwards and said, oh, do you want to do my alternative comedy night? I said, well, can I just do what I did then? And he's like, "Uh, yeah. So I said, okay, so I did that. And then uh, started doing more comedy gigs. And, uh, you know, some would go well, some would go really badly, and then it's kind of been the same ever since.
2: Yeah. (laughs)
0: but yeah. it's you know, it's 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 in, you're doing interesting stuff, and that's always you know, that kind of it is that proper alternative yeah. comedy. It would have worked uh, on the on the original alternative comedy scene, I think, as well. But it is, it is that sort of bravery. I had Spencer Jones on the other day, who's. Mm. You know his stuff is so wild, and you kind of think, how do you take that step to go right? I'm going to give this a go. But I suppose if if that's what you've always done, yeah, then you're not you're not kind of saying, oh, well, will this work? If I try this, uh, yeah. this is what I do and and like it or lump it, isn't
3: it? Yeah, you kind of get a bit battle hardened to it, really. Yeah, like you get punched so much, you're just like, well, <laughs> come on, I've there's only so much that can go wrong in this show. And um, but I enjoy it; it's a thrill, especially yeah. now when because i've been doing it for the i did the for, i did the, my first solo show up here was a show all about the color yellow called yeah. the yellow show because i came up at 2009 and did a thing called the big comedy breakfast on the um, in the Ape, apex hotel on the grass market and uh lionel blair was doing tap and chat on the uh, in the next room and we were doing this thing 15 minutes each for for comedians and uh uh, well three comedians and me and then um, I, it was that and then I thought I saw people doing hour long shows I was like oh I'd like to try and do that and then I did a thing on the free fringe yeah. uh, about the, the colour yellow and obviously no one was no one was coming so
0: well no one else was doing that kind of no one else has really thought about you know no. having to go at colours before <laughs> It's about time someone had a go at them, yeah. one, one at
3: a time. Yeah. But that is it. <laughs> no, but the thing, the thing is, is that what I did was, I was just like, "What? what, what am I going to do here? So I got a yellow uh, paddling pole, blew it up, got a yellow coat, got as many different layers of yellow as I could, like bunting. I got one of those noodles, you know, the, for the swimming pool, the foam ones. Yeah. Cut a slice in the end with a Stanley knife, put my yellow show flyer in it, and then fished it out like that, like like a fishing rod with a flyer in it. And then people who liked the flyering technique would take a f- flyer, and then like all the Edinburgh locals, like the young r- young people, would like rip the noodle out of my hands and run off down the street. I'm like, oh come on, give me a break! I've been sat here for four hours, this week. <laughs> and it was just savage. But I was doing it for four hours a day, and like people were coming and uh, yeah, it started started to. Started, I thought when I was coming up here, I was like, I love this, yeah, I love this material that I've got here. And then you come up, you get a few three star reviews, and then uh, you're like, ah, oh, it's not as good as I thought it was. <laughs> but I looked, I've got a bag of props of all my old shows, and I was looking at it. And I, with the yellow show, I, I made these yellow vision glasses, like 3D glasses out of cardboard, and got the acetate, and it was all yellow. There's Eric was there, he was in the audience mm-hmm. today. Still got that pair of glasses, and uh, I looked at those pair of glasses, and I thought that was as good an idea as I thought it was. (laughs) We'll try to knock it out of you, yeah. And but you've just got to stick with it and keep going with it. You have
0: stuck with it, and you've done. uh, There's a great uh, little uh, sort of pomp performance poem about. Buying yellow stuff from the supermarket. Yeah, which right. presume is thank part you, of yeah. that show. Yeah, it I great. mean, which is I love that idea of going to the supermarket and only buying yellow. Did you actually ever do that? Did I you go and buy it?
3: But I filled yeah. up the trolley with all the yellow stuff yeah. and made a like a stop frame animation yeah. part of it. <laughs> so you got like melons and then all the like. Uh, Cloths and yeah. yeah, you look a bit crazy, but yeah. Well, I'd be tempted to take and see
0: what the checkout girls. I mean, I got a whole show out of what the checkout girl said about my <laughs> <laughs> of yogurt. So, uh, it'd be kind of when they just notice that everything <laughs> is yellow. I yeah. think that'd be quite an interesting thing to yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting reaction to get. But it's a, it's a lovely. It's a lovely. I mean, it is. It's, it's that mixture between poetry and comedy and and weirdness and also just. But I, but I I love those Edinburgh shows and I, that's what I like to do in Edinburgh shows. Mm. Take an idea and then run with it, rather than going, I've got loads of material about this, I've yeah, got, yeah, I've got yeah. material about a banana, I yeah. might as well do a show about yellow things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, have to, you have to create from the, the idea. And so you've done that, you mean, you've you done, this is, your eighth, is it your eighth show? Eighth one, yeah. Is it consecutive? You've done one every year? Yeah. I mean, that, that's also the thing with Edinburgh now, is it takes so long. I know last year's show particularly probably broke through more than, has it just been a gradual process of, kind of um. getting more and more...
3: Yeah, it has. I mean, I started off in the Banshee Labyrinth Yeah. and it was a small cave and then did that and then the people who, the good thing is is that the people who like it come back and the people who don't like it don't come back. Yeah, And I'm so pleased that it is that way around. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd just be awful, wouldn't it? Have you seen Rob Orton? Yeah, I hate him. are you going this year? Yeah. <laughs> Big time. See you there. I've always been a huge fan of Bridget Christie and she
0: would do these very weird shows to start with and it's been lovely seeing Fascinating seeing her progression through her career, but her early shows were proper weird. She would be the plague of London,
3: and she you know, dress up as an aunt, didn't she? Yeah, yeah, she did.
0: a whole show about ants. I just loved them, and then a really interesting show about working with the Daily Mail, which was quite different. And you know, then she's moved on to the, what she's doing now as well. But it was, yeah, it was that exact thing where you're sitting amongst a room of people, where some of them are. Sp- Slightly angry yeah. about what's going on, yeah. and you're sitting there laughing your head off. It's great, isn't <laughs> but it? then you do go, you know, that was the one. That was probably the out of, in, every, out of all the Adams. That was the one act I would always go back and, mm. and see again. And
3: I think when people walk out as well, like it kind of galvanizes the people in the room who are enjoying it. They, yeah. They're like they're rooting for you a bit more, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, uh, so to answer your question, I was doing it. Yeah, I did a show about yellow, then I did a show about the sky, then faces, then water, then sleeping, then hair, where a gruba. Massive beard, really long hair, and uh, then I did a show about talking, Um, and it's just yeah, it's just a case of keeping on doing it really, and just as long as I'm having ideas that I like, yeah. And this show's all about time, and every year I'm just like, oh come on, just try and try and do it, and just try 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 your best, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's going all right so far. I mean, well,
0: last year's show was the second best reviewed
3: show in the
0: fringe according to your website that is that there's according only one there's only one way to get better
2: <laughs> you believe so, you know, it? that is a, that is a,
0: <laughs> that's a risky thing to have <laughs> if you hit the top but then if you hit the top then there's the only ways down well second to, isn't it yeah. still got somewhere to go
3: yeah you could go you could go up no well no it's, i think that's it it's good that it's it's a it's, uh, no, I was pleased with that. I mean, I, basically, I just want people to come and if they like it, great. And if they don't, and that's all right. But it's just about trying and just seeing and testing myself. I love testing myself and seeing if I can do it. And I mean, I've, I've had some experiences up here. Like, I was one year when I was doing the water show and I got food poisoning, and it was. It was it was a, a, one of the one of the bad uh, food poisoning experiences <laughs> compared to the good ones, and uh, <laughs> it was just really. And I, I thought I'm not going to be able to do my show, can't. And then adrenaline just takes over, yeah. and it's you kind of push yourself to. You kind of find out new bits about yourself. Yeah, I think up here, yeah. don't you?
0: Yeah, yeah, well, you sort of have... You can't really afford to take a day off, can you? So no, no, no. So you do have to battle through unless you're literally about to die or dead. Yeah. Then you... I, I think even if I was dead, I'd still leave instructions to go on. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I, I was... Actually, I was speaking to someone yesterday, and they were saying that um, they used to work in a theatre, and they get all the show reports. And um, they were working at a theatre in London, and um, after the show, an old lady came up and said... Um, Oh, um, my husband is over there. He um, uh, he passed away in the in the first half of <laughs> the play. Yeah. But I knew that he would want me to stay and watch the end of it. So he's over there. He, he's dead. <laughs> it's just a corpse in the thing. It was like, yeah
0: could have been saved as well. If they got him in the interval, he would have been, they could have gotten yeah, and yeah, <laughs> got uh, <yeah>. him back. <laughs> That's marriage for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, we, we'll leave it. We'll leave it see how it goes. Uh, so you just you decide to keep the beard in there. I mean, you had longer, it was longer, right, when you did yeah, the Yeah, no, it
3: was. Um, well, I got the photographs taken for this show when I had a beard, so I thought, well, I'm going to have to have it. But I had an audition for something and they, they shaved it off quite a lot a show that I actually, yeah that was the second audition I got but I don't know if I'm allowed to, it's only a tiny part but yeah, yeah so no so now I look like, yeah dogs look, do look at me differently you know. Yeah. They do. I mean I saw a dog you know side on <laughs> and I was coming down like this and the dog went like this and <laughs> <laughs> does a double take you know. It's funny, and look up at you like What breed are you? <laughs> I would just stand up like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> geez, you didn't have before you didn't you know you didn't have the beard for the, before those shows uh, it's quite a strong look there,
3: yeah. well thanks very much
0: but I did a show where I grew a, a toothbrush yeah, yeah, I was just looking at that this and, morning. Uh, and I was very very keen to get rid of that every time I possibly could yeah, yeah. yeah. There it is again. did you get quite a lot of stick for that no I mean I think it would be different now weirdly <laughs> <laughs> the, <laughs> the show was sort of about trying to persuade people to vote to stop right wing politicians doing well so it worked yeah uh, and thank god for me but um <laughs> I, I didn't people just like you know people were like a bit uh, the worst thing people were a bit scared of you because you i mean you'd you know you must get it a little bit anyway people must think oh fuck I mean, i think you saw you saying someone 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 when someone you, you did an interview you said that some a mother and child the tube doors had opened and then yeah, your yeah. Mom, the mother had said we're going in the next carriage
3: because when yeah. you were a bit, more when, it yeah, was a bit no, more when it was when it was properly like wild man it um so yes. it just sort
0: of scares people, and then and people it, laugh, but sort of want your mm. out of eyesight, but not out of earshot, so it's sort of a slightly weird thing. And then one guy, white van guy, said, well done, mate, you're a man after my own heart, <laughs> which was that was the worst thing that happened to me <laughs> the entire time I did it wow uh, but yeah there was a bit of laughter but yeah just confusion but i wasn't like dressed as hitler so you know it was yeah. it was just a confusing yeah it was a confusing man with long hair and a weird mustache so that was 2009 wasn't it yeah 2009, 2010 i think yeah yeah so it was a different time It was a different time where you know the idea of nazis being back in the world was sort of com- comical and ridiculous <laughs> i think it might have been me that sparked the inter- i think that white van <laughs> That white van might be like, fuck it, if that guy is doing it, I'm going to do it too. Well, let's have the courage of my convictions. Hitler wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> and so in the Time show, which I haven't seen yet, because we almost clashed, and in fact, I've got to keep an eye on the time, because uh, time, see time? Yeah. Uh, do you talk about time travel? I'm very fascinated by time travel. Yeah, a little one? bit, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: You, do you have any theories about time travel? It's uh, I'm impossible, hung up isn't it? it? It's impossible.
3: No, I just think that. I'd love it, I'd love it if I could... I like, really like metal detecting. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'd love it if you could dig up stuff from the future. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it? As well as the past. Well, like, maybe you
0: need to dig upwards, that's the thing. Maybe oh, we're shit. just doing it and we're all going down. Into if you just the put, sky. No one says, has anyone turned the metal detector the other way up yet? Because <laughs> if they do. <laughs> iPhone 11. <laughs> but
3: no, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, what, I, what I love about just doing these shows is, that I just try to buy myself a bit of space to think about things, yeah. so I can write time in the middle of the spider diagram, and then just spend a year thinking about it. And it's, you know, it makes me. I think what what I like is like sometimes you get some clever clogs in the audience who's like, you know, nothing about time, but all the top scientists who probably some of them we had on the podcast has Brian Cox been on?
0: I'm, not, I'm trying to get Brian Cox on but I haven't but he,
3: like, he, he would say no one really knows what anything is yeah so I'd just go oh. by that <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, it's really. sort of I sort of because infi- of infinity, you know that this thing exactly. There's, you know, time has always been or must have started at some point, and it must it must always go on or end at some point. Yeah, yeah. But it suggests to me that we've just got it wrong because that can't be that logically can't be the case. So time and infinity and mathematics must actually or they're very useful ways
3: of working they, things. They're very Earth, u- useful. But yeah.
0: I don't think they are real because they don't make sense, do they?
3: No. Well, the thing is when you talk about infinity and things like that, when you know, it just so it just keeps on going and going and going and going and going in every direction. Yeah. So that means that you're the centre of the universe. Yeah. I think it was a Dalai Lama who said that. Yeah. And it's true though, isn't it? Because there's no lit, there's no, there's no wall. Yeah. And even, even, you know, it's just so. Then I start thinking about things like finding my HMRC login number. <laughs> <laughs> and it just seems a bit irrelevant. I'm just like, oh God, what a trial just makes things seem a bit pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> and I, But I love it because it frees me up. Yeah. And it makes me feel like I can do whatever I want to do because I'm like a piece of dust with a heartbeat. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. it's just like, it doesn't matter. So that's what, that's what I love. I love. I love punk music as well and just like homemade stuff and just making something that wouldn't exist if it wasn't for you and you go like, yeah, come on, I want to try and go up to the Edinburgh Festival and try and... Get my insides out and just have a good good time, you know? Yeah,
0: and ultimately it's all pointless because, you know, the time goes on for an infinite amount of time. So yeah. there's already
3: been infinite time, there's
0: infinite time to come. So your finite amount of time here is actually zero.
2: Mm.
0: It's actually nothing, and everything you've done is a waste of time. <laughs> and just specifically yeah. you as well. It's not. It's not, <laughs> it's not <laughs>
3: Yeah. These podcasts I are said that one brought me on. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: These podcasts will last forever. That's all, that's all I know. That's, I'm, I'm safe. People will want to hear me talking to Les Dennis in the year 2525. They'll still be interested in... <laughs> So I will be fine. Uh, we, we're going to have to uh, go. Shall I ask you an emergency question before you go? Yeah. Oh, I'll ask you this. This is my new one for Edinburgh. I might sure <laughs> new one to take. Uh, If you could take one item from any museum or art gallery uh, and take it home with you. you, they said you could have one thing out of any museum or art gallery, and it's yours, mm. which one item from all the world's museums and art galleries would you take home and have at your house?
3: Probably the Haywain by Constable. Yeah, nice. Just because I go to I go I go to the National Gallery quite a lot in London because it's you can go to the toilet, and um, <laughs> but also it's got a really um, comfy sofa in front of the hayway. Yeah. And it's like real old leather and I just sit there and yeah, you know, it's a great painting that. Yeah. Maybe Isn't you
0: should it? take the sofa though if it's the sofa. I like the sofa. Yeah. Toss up between the uh, sofa and the toilet. <laughs> And what, this, I think this is a question that came out of something I was reading about you, but I can't remember w- why. Mm. Uh, what's the least impressive thing you can spend a lot of money on? That's quite a hard question. I'm sorry. A to wa-
3: l- I think a watch. A watch. I was looking at, because I'm doing the show all about time, i was been looking in all the watch windows, and there was a watch. It probably, you know, someone probably in here has got an expensive watch on, but this one was, I think it was £42,800. And that watch costs... £42,773 <laughs> more than mine. Yeah. And, I, that, you know, they're, they're, I know people like... Have you got an expensive watch? I mean, I've
0: got, a, I've got an Apple watch, so it's quite expi- I yeah, mean, it's that's expensive. Yeah, but that's useful, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, it's sort of useful. Yeah, I oh, tried nice. to sell books after my show and... Someone paid with their watch. Yeah, I yesterday. love doing that.
0: that that's, I love doing do you that, top
3: yeah. on the tube with your watch though? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, that's the best thing about it. But now I've moved out of London so I can't go. You want do to it watch out? You
3: might crack the screen.
0: <laughs> no, it's all right, you just hold it up, you don't have to, oh, right, you don't okay. have to bang it. The yeah, no, that's true. i saw I saw on Facebook there was you know you get those ads come up. There was an ad for a watch a monthly watch club where they would send you a, an expensive watch every month. Have you seen that advert? <laughs> and so you could then get a collection of watches so people are like getting 12 watches a year <laughs> presumably people just like to have a different <laughs>
3: I hope they don't come to my show I mean that is
0: that is pretty impressive
3: it is very impressive yeah I
0: mean it's impressive, impressive if someone's managed to make that a business and enough people go yeah I reckon I need 12 <laughs> I, need I think if you do that you should have to wear them all you start with one and then you have to wear them just all like you're, they should have increasingly large straps so you can get them all and then one that's just around your chest. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the show sounds fantastic. I'm not sure I'm going to get to see it, but I, I understand you're touring the show as well.
3: Yeah, I'm going to do a tour in the spring, yeah, so hopefully I'll, yeah. I'll come and see on tour. To and
0: uh, what? where are you on, and where's uh, George Square? Uh,
3: 250 <laughs> Assembly Why Studio Why is it not 5? the end of George Street, George Square? Uh, yeah, it should be all, yeah. yeah. It should be, shouldn't it? But it's in uh, Assembly <laughs> Studio 5, George Square, Uh yeah, near where all the outside beer gardens are.
0: And then on tour, and you've got a, a web, website where people I've can got a,
3: w- a website, website yeah. yeah uh, Roboughton.co.uk is. Who got Roboughton.com? I don't know, but he's probably doing pretty successfully. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the person who's got Roboughton at hotmail.com. I've got .co.uk. <laughs> okay. One of my friends said, yeah, he's probably got an American sitcom by now. <laughs> <laughs> all the work that's gone there. <laughs> that's what I keep telling myself anyway. Uh, all those all those offers for film rows have gone to robot hotmail.com <laughs> But anyway, well, I'll let you go and do your show, yep. ladies
0: and gentlemen, Robertson. Thank you, yeah. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Lovely. Right. Um. Yes, we've got another guest in a second. Before we get to that, I will just say after the show, uh, I am uh, going to be sitting in the uh, entrance to the theater as usual. Uh, I'm very happy to say hello, very happy to do selfies, uh, sign your programs that you've got. We'll talk about the programs again later on. Uh, and um, I'm also selling my Emergency Questions books. Uh, there's the, the brand new one with 1,001 questions uh, on a knockdown price. There's the old one with 500 questions. Not, it's the same price, not as many questions. You have to decide... <laughs> you can get them both and if you get them both you get a, a free sheet of wonderful stickers which I think will slowly, shortly be available we've got a few left from our Kickstarter campaign uh, which sh- you can buy these separately as well and they will be available at com as well uh, and anything else do come and see the show if you're uh, on tour we got, We just announced Simon Evans will be doing the Brighton show on September the 15th and Connie Huck is going to be uh, one of the Leicester Square theatre uh, gigs yeah uh, she tried to kill me with a boat once uh, and uh, and <laughs> Uh, she's on with uh, Grace of Perry, so that's going to be a great show on the 11th of November. So do book ahead for that, already selling very well. Uh, and there's a whole load more. Go to richhain.com gigs and you can find out all about that. Right, uh, my next guest. This is going to be very... Oh, it's, it's all on my computer. I've decided to try and beat him at his own game and I've put everything on the <laughs> computer. We've done a slight bit of prep for this uh, interview, as you'll see uh, why in a second. Uh, but uh, just put my password in. Quite a lot of that going on, Uh, but uh, I, uh, I do have um, uh, yes, I've got some questions on here. So, uh, will you please welcome my next guest? He's probably best known for playing Dick Pounder in (laughs) in the Stag Do. That's a double the stag with the double G Do, the Stag Do. Will you please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Lee Ridley, Lost Voice Guy. And uh, coming on here is uh, Bollings from Bollings and Nerin, James Hingley, who's uh, the man responsible for putting all these podcasts up within three or four hours. Thank you very much. Hello, Lee. How are you doing? Lovely to see you, man. Hey, come in. Wow. Thank you. Oh shit! Didn't they smash my computer. That would be a good start. I was thinking of getting my computer to speak as well, and then just I could sit back and relax. Thank you to James Hingley there. Uh, uh, So, Lee, how are you doing? Are you okay? Good, thanks. Good, that's all right, great. And uh, what do you remember about uh, playing Dick Pounder in uh, The Stag Do?
5: The Stag Do was my very first on-screen role, and it's a very funny independent film which was filmed in Newcastle in the North East. I must say that I have very fond memories of playing Dick Pounder, mainly because he was the owner of a strip club, and so I got to spend a couple of days watching women dance provocatively. I think I only had two or three lines in the entire film, but it definitely put me off ever going to a strip club for real. Everything I touched was either sticky or smelly, I don't usually have that problem because my iPad screen wipes clean easily.
0: <laughs> so good. You turned up every day, I'm sure, even when you weren't in the scenes. But uh, it's, you're also maybe slightly better known for your recent appearance and win on Britain's Got Talent. Um, there's quite a big decision. I know you've been doing talent for a while. What, 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 was, what made you decide to give that competition a go?
5: I'll be honest, it wasn't an easy decision to make. Before I went on it, I think talent shows were looked down upon by many comedians. And I was one of them. (laughs) I just didn't see it as something that I wanted to do, and I didn't particularly think it helped my career that much. I also worried about becoming known as that guy that won Britain's Got Talent (laughs) and only having 15 minutes of fame. A few things helped me change my mind. One of the main reasons that I decided to do it was the fact that there isn't really many opportunities for comedians (laughs) to reach a large audience on television anymore. There's only really programs like The Apollo Left. And even then, it's hard to get a break on anything like that. It was actually my agent who suggested that Britain's Got Talent would be a good way of reaching a much bigger audience. I still took a while to be convinced, but in the end I knew that he was right. I think Britain's Got Talent gets about 10 million viewers, so I would have been silly just to dismiss it. Even after agreeing to do it, I didn't tell many of my friends on the circuit, because I was worried about being judged, or as being viewed as selling my soul to Simon Cowell. (laughs) It was only after my audition was shown on the television that I realized I should have trusted my comedy mates more. They were all so supportive of me when they saw it, and it meant a lot to me. I actually think that having their support helped me go on to win the whole thing
0: that's great yeah there is a i mean there is a real camaraderie I think especially behind certain comedians on the on the circuit which I'm sure you you're one of them where people are you know comedians have this reputation of being like selfish and and competitive but uh, yeah that, that's that's good to hear and um what was it what was it what was it like on the program? did it lead up to your expectations or was it?
5: It was a very intense experience. Yeah, There was an awful lot of filming to do for it and I seemed to be getting asked the same questions over and over again, when they were interviewing me for segments of the show. I didn't really know what to expect beforehand because I'd never given it much thought before. The whole process was pretty surreal and, at times, I found it hard to cope with mentally. I was very lucky to have some great family and friends with me during the whole thing. I think I would have went crazy if I had to do it on my own. Yeah. I was also very impressed by the way that the crew at Britain's Got Talent looked after me as well. One of my main worries about doing the show was the fact that they might take advantage of me and exploit my disability. Yeah but they made it clear from day one that this wouldn't be the case. And the crew always looked out for me and put my needs first. So that helped me a lot. I developed such a great relationship with most of the people working on the program, and I think that that's a massive credit to them. You always hear horror stories about the way people are treated on these kinds of shows. So it was nice to see the other side to that.
0: Yeah, that's that's very interesting to hear because you do that. You sort of do think those shows sort of chew people up and spit them out. Require you know, there's, there's finding the next person and moving on, and that's the problem with it. it is, it's interesting that a lot of a lot of comedians have gone on on that show more recently and done very well as well. Although you know, think you're the only one to have won the whole thing as a comedian, it's not.
4: Yes. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, well done.
0: Uh, and you joked about Simon Cowell having plastic surgery, which I haven't uh, noticed. Uh, There's a sort of weird photo of in the paper today looking like a sort of robot, but I'm sure that you can't have plastic surgery for that. Did, he, did Cowell, Cowell really take those jokes well, or was <laughs> is it
2: difficult afterwards?
5: Simon is a pussycat, really. <laughs> Out of all of the judges, he was obviously the one that I was worried about most because of his reputation. But, if anything, he's probably the judge that I've bonded with most. And he seemed to take the jokes about him really well. Both him and David Williams have been really supportive since. David came to see my Edinburgh show last year, which was really nice of him. Although, having one of my comedy heroes in the crowd, did put me off a bit. Especially as he's too tall to blend into the rest of the audience. (laughs) I've seen Simon a few times since winning as well, and he's been really good with giving me advice.
0: Disappointing. Uh, So... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you have to say, they've given you a quarter of a million pounds. Well, you've got to say nice things about them. Can I have some of that? Am I, can I have some of your money? I'll, I'll spend it on uh, podcasts. Let's see what uh, Perhaps It looks like he's t- typing. Yes, yeah. yes, you can, Richard. You can do that. Thank you. Uh, it's in the post. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, ho- hopefully the people at home know who you are and have understood what's going on um, uh, with this, but uh, can you just, in case uh, anyone's not clear what's going, on, can you tell us a little bit about your disability? Um, and uh, yeah,
5: my disability is called cerebral palsy. It affects people in different ways, but in my case, it means I have no speech. My right side of my body is weaker than my left, and I walk like a zombie out of the Walking Dead.
0: I'm sure you do, but do you have have sort of funny and terrible experiences of of prejudice you've experienced, especially before people knew who you were?
5: I think most prejudice that I experience is just because people aren't used to talking to a disabled person and so say the wrong thing accidentally. For example, when I'm out with me friends, other people will talk to me through my mates, instead of just talking to me directly. Other people just ask the most inappropriate questions. One of the most common questions is, have I ever tried to talk just to see what would happen? (laughs) As if I had just been lazy all of my life, and therefore,
0: Help, no, that's a helpful comment. That, like, that could have. Oh, no, I never thought that. Oh bloody hell! Shit! It's my whole act gone. <laughs> and do you think, since you've become more famous and more recognisable, have attitudes towards you been changed and been better?
5: Definitely, the general public have been so supportive as well. I'm always getting stopped for selfies and having people congratulate me. And it has been really nice. I'm very grateful for all the kind words I have received. One of the best things to happen since I won, is that people are engaging with me a lot more than they would have in the past. For the first time, they seem comfortable talking to a disabled person. I'm used to being stared at for negative reasons, so it's nice to be stared at for positive reasons for a change. It's just a shame that I had to win a talent <laughs> show to get to this point. For most disabled people, this isn't an option.
0: Yeah. It's true, well, but also, it is, I mean, this is there's so little opportunity for disabled people to, on TV, and the, you know, the percentage of people who are disabled is. Have some level of disability is is huge, and yet the number of disabled people you see in anything in so proper as whatever is so tiny that that's, uh, it's, 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 it's great that you've got the opportunity to be on primetime TV and and be such a great uh, ambassador for that role, but it is, you know it is, it, is, it is crazy as well that that's the case. Um, I, I mean maybe you've sort of answered this already, but what what, it's, what do you think makes people so weird about disability?
5: I think it comes down to education. People just aren't used to interacting with someone with a disability on a regular basis. I think attitudes towards disabled people in society have definitely got better. I've certainly seen a big improvement since I was younger. But I also think that there's still a long way to go as well. And that's why I would like to see more disabled comedians booked by comedy clubs, appearing at festivals and being shown on television. Basically, more disabled people being portrayed in a positive light. The general public need to see that we're not all just scroungers and benefits cheats, (laughs) they need to see that disabled people can contribute an awful lot to society and they need to see that we have a sense of humor just like anyone else. Programs like the last leg on channel 4 have paved the way, but there's still a lot that could be done. Only when we see disabled people on our stages and on our screens as much as anyone else will attitudes really change. And only then will disabled people feel fully a part of society.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think it's interesting. I mean, obviously, I've been. I sort of accidentally fell into working with Scope 15 or 16 years ago after running the marathon for them. And, and it's, you know, it is weird. You do, even if you're a liberal thingy person, you have these prejudices and worries. And I guess people are afraid of a disability happening to themselves as well, which they should be, because it will happen to them as well. That's the, I always make that quote, but I asked the disabled person. Um, At a party once, what was how you should refer to uh, non-disabled people? Because non-disabled seems wrong, and abled seems wrong. And she said we call you the not yet disabled. (laughs) Which, uh, and that out of everything I spoke to her about, that was the moment you go, yeah. And all the things that that disabled people are struggling to get, like access to buildings and transport. We will all benefit from that. I mean, anyone with a pram would benefit from that for a start, which is most people, and, but we're all going to benefit from that eventually. It's kind of crazy we don't... People don't want to think about it, I think. They don't want to think about their own uh, vulnerability, I guess. Especially in Edinburgh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a terrible, terrible city, uh, even if you can walk quite well as I can... Um, So do you think it's okay to joke about disability? And do, do people ever get offended with you joking about disability?
5: I think any subject can be joked about if it's handled in the right way. Because I base most of my jokes on myself. I think I get away with it a bit more. The funny thing is that the people who usually get offended by one of my jokes are people who are getting offended on behalf of someone else. For example, I once had someone walk out one of my gigs once, and when someone asked her why, she said it was because she worked with disabled people. (laughs) So she was getting offended on behalf of them without really knowing whether they would have been offended or not. I sometimes get offended by jokes myself. Maybe because it's a joke about something I'm too familiar with. But I also appreciate the context that the joke is in, and that other people might find it hilarious. Like I say, it's all about the writing and the performance of the joke, and the circumstances you are telling it in.
0: It's, and, and also, it's just, I think it's a, comedy is a great way to communicate, c- communicate uh, these kind of big ideas as well, you know. And I think, and, and like you say, uh, showing people that you can laugh and you have a sense of humor about stuff, just it, you know, it, it, it gives empathy to people who might not have empathy in the, in the first place, or might be, you know, just confused. It's it's just something that the people, you know, it's a shame people <laughs> aren't able to address it more. But hopefully you, they will. Let's uh, let's talk about the the, uh, the iPad. Um, how does how does this work for you, then, this, this this way of communicating?
5: It's just a text-to-speech app on my iPad. Basically, I type in what I want to say, and it speaks it for me. Obviously, this means that I've become very good at spelling over the years. You can also save sentences and phrases that you use frequently as well, which is a good job. Because this interview would take fucking ages
2: otherwise.
0: <laughs> we may have given you some of the questions ahead of the time. We may have. May have um, so, what what phrases do you have? Do you have like preloaded phrases that are ready to go? And what are they? And have I just? I know most of these questions I've asked just in the air already. <laughs>
5: Why don't you ask me some random questions okay. and find out?
0: Okay. Um, shall I ask you? Well, I know there is one in there. I'll ask you. I'll ask you the one that I know's in there. Uh, have you ever tried to suck your own cock, Lee Ridley? Of course.
5: Why do you think I've got so many bumps and bruises on my head? <laughs>
0: Let's try. Let's try an emergency question. Let's try. Um, have you ever seen a ghost? Let's see if that's preloaded in there. Is that a question you get asked a lot? <laughs> I'm going to guess no. Please, can you repeat yourself? <laughs> have you ever seen a ghost?
5: Beans on toast. <laughs>
0: Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> what would you like for dinner? <laughs> it's good that beans on toast is in there. Unless there's a lot of food in there.
5: Blow job, please. <laughs>
0: Okay, it's been, a, it's been a good interview. It's been a long, long Edinburgh for me, looking after kids. And do you get heckled to people How could you? Do you have heckle put downs in their reds ago? Because my audience will heckle you. They're very impatient people.
5: I've never been heckled yet, actually. Really? I'd be interested in seeing what would happen if I was, though. I think that would be a great social experiment. (laughs) Heckling a disabled person would probably be frowned upon in most situations. (laughs) I do have some comebacks stored just in case though. Okay. I'm dying to use them. Okay, good. Maybe someone in the audience should heckle me so that I can try them out.
0: Anyone want to give it a go? I mean... Be careful. That's what you say, you're the, you're the luckiest. Stop pretending you can't talk to get to a quarter million pounds, you, you cunt. How about that? Who said that? God! Why do they bring their own microphone, especially to do it? That's awful.
5: Yes. Well, Stephen Hawking fucked your mother. <laughs> then you have to run the virus checker.
0: It's good. Good. More people should agree you. Um, and um, hey, we're doing pretty. We're doing. We're doing. We're doing I, I guess I could have just asked you how long the answers took, when, uh, and then I wouldn't known how long we got. We've got plenty. We've got plenty more questions to go. so That's good. Um, you've. Uh, or less, What were you doing before you got into comedy? And, and um, yeah, what 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 was going on before?
5: Before I was a stand-up comedian. I was a journalist. I had studied journalism at university, and had worked for a few local newspapers in Newcastle, as well as the BBC. Most recently, I was working in the media team of Sunderland City Council. Deciding to do comedy definitely changed my life though. I'll be honest, I haven't always been good at expressing myself. In fact, Despite what you see on stage, I still don't think I am now. I've always been really self-conscious about myself and what other people think of me because of my disability. I guess it comes with the territory. I've just got used to feeling paranoid and awkward, even around people that I know. I'm incredibly shy and I'm never completely relaxed because my brain won't let me be. With that mindset, maybe doing stand-up comedy was a weird choice for me. Why would I want to get up on stage and let loads of strangers judge me even more? I'm still trying to figure that out. What I do know is that doing stand-up comedy has taught me to let go of my inhibitions a bit. When I'm up on stage I feel like I've found the perfect way to express myself. I have always used humour to help me feel more relaxed. I've always enjoyed making other people laugh. It's a great feeling. Plus, if I didn't laugh, I'd most definitely cry.
0: Yeah, well, but you know, th- those reasons, I've, I think a lot of comedians, that, that resonates a lot with me. You know, I think it's, what I love about comedy is that the, the range of people that give it a go, and the fact that, you know, the, there's people you would think, well, they could never do comedy with such and such. And you'd think someone who can't speak, they're probably not going to ever do comedy. And that's what's amazing about stand-up comedy is that the, you, can, <laughs> you can do stand-up comedy, you can overcome that and become a stand-up comedian. That is, that's the, the power of the medium. But yeah, it is. what, what was, what was the, the, the moment that made you decide to give comedy a go, given all that shyness? and?
5: It came about because my mate thought it would work well. Of course... I thought he was crazy, but the idea stuck in the back of my head. Eventually, a few months later, I decided to give it a try because I knew I'd regret it if I didn't. It turns out my mate was right. It's just grown from there really. I don't think there was a moment when I realized I was funny. I think it just developed over time. I've always enjoyed watching comedy shows on television and grew up watching the likes of Jack D and Lee Evans doing stand-up. I'm also a huge fan of the League of Gentlemen, which explains my twisted sense of humour. So I guess it just grew out of all of that really. I do remember always enjoying making other people laugh though, it made me feel good, So it's nice to now be able to do that for a living.
0: Yeah, great. Um, You've written a book as well. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the book as...?
5: My book is called I'm Only In It For The Parking. (laughs) And it's basically answering all the stupid questions that I get asked about my disability. I think the question that I'm sick of being asked the most is definitely are you as clever as Stephen Hawking? (laughs) Spoiler alert, I'm not. (laughs) And the funniest is probably when people ask me really personal stuff like if I can sex. This really amuses me. Contrary to popular belief, disabled people can actually have sex. And if I have managed to convince someone to sleep with me, then there's still hope for the rest of the disabled population (laughs) as well. I'm not sure why so many people seem to think that I can't have relationships. Obviously it'd be awkward if I started to talk dirty in bed. There's no way I can say something filthy to a woman without her imagining she was in bed with Robocop.
0: (laughs) And uh, there's an audiobook of your book. Was that just copy and paste and then go home?
5: In theory, that should have been the case. <laughs> but doing the audio book was probably one of the hardest part of the whole thing. This was because I had to go through it page by page to check that my iPad pronounced every word correctly. <laughs> check that the pace of the speech was understandable and things like that by the end i was absolutely sick of listening to my own book
0: (laughs) and okay well we're we're nearly out of time unfortunately so uh, let's uh, talk about what is your show about this year
5: this year's edinburgh show is an extension of my book and its stupid questions I think my show this year is definitely a reflection on what has happened to me since I won Britain's Got Talent in 2018. Ever since winning the ITV show, I've had people coming up to me and congratulating me, which is great. But I've also had almost the same amount of people coming up to me and asking me stupid questions about my disability. So I'm using my time in Edinburgh to answer all of these for you.
0: Great. And so what time's it on and whereabouts are you on? See.
5: My show is called I'm Only In It For The Parking. And it's on at the Gilded Balloon, at half past seven, every night of the festival. And if people can't make it to Edinburgh, then I'm taking this show on a tour of the UK in October and November.
0: Terrific, good. Well, I mean, I gave you a big break back in uh, Rich Town's Edinburgh Fringe podcast. And, uh... Gave you five minutes of stand-up. I'm sure that's why this has all come about. <laughs> uh, I'm very glad to hear. Uh, and look, uh, I should say to the audience here, um, we are doing a collection for Scope after the show, which is a fantastic charity that I'm a patron of. I think you're also involved working with Scope, uh, who are doing lots of great work for disabled people. So if you think those programmes are worth and you would like to donate, there will be buckets after the show. I think we're going to get a good amount today. Uh, I hope so. You can also text the number in the programme if you can't do that. Have you got anything to say about, uh, about the, uh, the collection?
5: Scope is a fantastic charity that helps disabled people every day. Many of us would be lost without it. So, if you put just £10 into the bucket, you could be helping dickheads like me achieve their dreams. (laughs) And meet Paul from the Chuckle Brothers at the Royal Variety
0: Performance. Yeah, we've done very well, we've raised a lot of money over the years for Scope, so please do carry on giving generously. I still haven't been given a free parking disabled badge, which is all I did it for <laughs> in the first place. We'll find out how, what the price is to give. It may be having to tr- lose a leg, money. it? I might have to to put a leg in the pocket. Um, see what I'm going to get for that I'm gonna you can trouble. borrow mine okay <laughs> 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 ladies and gentlemen please give them a massive round of applause last voice <laughs> Guy, <laughs> Lee by Ridley thank you man that was awesome we're back tomorrow Brian Kimmings I'm going to see uh, and uh, Arabella Weir tomorrow as well please come and see that thank you very much goodbye <laughs> You have been listening to Rahulastapa at the Edinburgh Fringe with me, Richard Herring. Thank you to Pest for providing the music. Thank you to everyone at the Newtown Theatre and The Stand and everyone at gofasterstripe.com. And our producer is James Hingley. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and gofasterstripe.com production. Go to rahulastapa.co.uk to find out more. richardherring.com slash gigs to find out who my guests are for the rest of the run.